Welcome to the Brain People Podcast, a show where four mental health experts team up to bring you practical tools for overcoming mental health challenges. The Brain People don't replace your doctor or therapist, but we will give you some extra tools to help you on your journey. So join us as we fight mental illness, one episode at a time. Welcome to the Brain People Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Binus, and I'm a psychiatrist. And today we have a very special episode on ambiguous grief. And joining me today is my guest, Stephanie Sarazin. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, Stephanie is a experiential grief expert, an accidental grief researcher, and an author. So we're really grateful to have her here with us today. And uh, Stephanie, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, I always kind of chuckle to myself when I hear it back to me about being an experiential expert and an accidental grief researcher, um, because they sound kind of like made up titles, right? But it's true. Um, I have a I have a master's degree in public policy, not a, not a credential in mental health. I look to all of you, and I'm always referring people over to professionals, you know, to guide through that space. Um, but I am an experiential expert in my own life, as we all are, right? And um, a few years ago, I found myself really trying to understand the grief that I found myself in. And this was grief that was activated by the loss of my husband of almost 20 years, um, uh, suddenly and abruptly. Uh, but it wasn't to death, Dr. Binus, it was to divorce. Mm. And um, so in my grief and in my um, my loss, trying to understand how how do we go through, what do I do next? How do we go through this process um, when there is no, there's no funeral, there's no eulogy. Um, nobody is bringing casseroles to my door. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we know what to do when our loved ones die a physical death. Um, our, we know what to do for one another when that happens. Um, and yet I was experiencing a grief so profound. I felt like a widow, um, but I wasn't. And therefore kind of, you know, forward facing to my community, um, I wasn't treated as one. And so it's a very ambiguous place to be um, in not knowing how to grieve without those societal norms or that, you know, kind of structured grieving period. And I do just want to say as kind of a disclaimer, I mean that in no disrespect to individuals who do lose their loved ones or do do become widowed. Um, you know, a structured grieving period, a bereavement policy in a corporation, you know, that that you might get doesn't make it any better, certainly. So I don't mean to sound like I'm trivializing that. When the loss isn't acknowledged at all in terms of um, the depth, you know, and me feeling like a widow, there's there's no societal norm to kind of turn to. There's no structure whatsoever. It's very ambiguous. It's it's amorphous even. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'm sitting here thinking about even the term ambiguous and 
some of the the thoughts that come up there, uh, the word maybe even confusing, you know, is like, okay, I'm having some of these feelings and I don't really understand them. I don't know what to do with them. So can you um, unpack that term ambiguous grief a little bit more for our listeners and for me personally? What 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 comes to your mind? Like, how, do, how is that even really defined? <laughs> Right. And that's the thing. Ambiguous is a lack of definition. It's a lack of, of certainty or understanding. There are no parameters, you know, to define it. And for me, it, the, this always invokes the image of kind of a watercolor, uh, you know, where it's different shades of color, different shapes. You can take your paintbrush and splat it on a piece of paper. And depending on the force of your paintbrush, depending on the amount of paint on your brush, that splat will take a very, its own unique shape. And it would be really hard to even replicate that, right? It's different for everybody. And as I was trying to understand how to grieve, couldn't find anybody who would talk to me about it, about having their, an experience like this, which I thought was very confusing and perplexing. Certainly, I'm not the first, right? Um, but the idea that that there had to be an understanding out there somewhere is what really kept got me kind of activated into trying to find somebody who would talk about it. And what I found was a terrific, um, just terrific seminal work done by Dr. Pauline Boss back in the 1990s. And she first, she's a therapist and um, uh, a professor at the University of Minnesota. And she, she had observed in her patients grief that was brought upon by a certain set of uh, events that kind of put the griever in a space of not knowing whether or not to grieve. And so it would be, and she termed this ambiguous loss. And so ambiguous loss is when our loved one is absent physically, but there is not a confirmed death, such as, you know, maybe a soldier who's missing in action, um, a child who's been kidnapped, or somebody who's been lost in a natural disaster. And we don't know if they've died a physical death. So the loved ones looking for them, loved ones who are awaiting that confirmation, are kind of in a purgatory of, do you, do you grieve their loss, their death, or are they, or is that premature, right? And then Dr. Boss later um, added to that to say, this could also be a physical presence, but a psychological absence, such as somebody with Alzheimer's, you know, and caring for somebody with uh, dementia or other form of cognitive decline, including like a traumatic brain injury. And in those spaces, you know, that person is there physically, but they are not there cognitively as they mm. once were. And so Dr. Boss's work was the closest I could find to what I was experiencing, but it wasn't my loss that was ambiguous because my loved one was definitely still alive and living now just a few miles away. Uh, it was my grief that was ambiguous. Mm. How do I grieve this? And so I set about really trying to find anybody who would talk to me about what worked for them. How do you grieve when your loved one is still living, but not as they once were? 
And I started writing about it and posting some things online and was overwhelmed by the amount of response I received from people all over saying, yes, this is exactly what I'm feeling. And what was so surprising, Dr. Binus, is that it wasn't just to divorce. These weren't people, I kind of thought, you know, I'd throw my line out there and I, if I'm hearing back from anybody, it would be other women like me in a, you know, a kind of sudden divorce situation. Um, But it wasn't, it was everybody from everywhere talking about feeling this way, not knowing how to grieve their loved one with addiction, deep in addiction and not who they once were, um, having different mental health uh, concerns, indoctrination, like to a a cult or a gang, imprisonment, um, Alzheimer's disease, of course, and and those uh, cognitive declines I mentioned. Um, Also, any, any gender identity or familial estrangement, things that are happening in our relationships all over the world today and are complex and confusing and without, you know, without a headstone, without a funeral, without a eulogy, it often goes unrecognized, which means it's, it's often not validated, that grief isn't validated. And so grievers isolate and grieve alone, which is why I couldn't find anybody to talk. And, and this is actually a really good important point that you're making, I think, because it's kind of like, okay, we have, this grief and grief, which you're very aptly pointing out is not always what we think of. Uh, it, we can be grieving about so many different things in our life and sometimes not even realize it. Right. Uh, but there's a reason to, at least from what I'm hearing to really address that there's a reason that that matters. Right. And so can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, why, why is it important that we identify this ambiguous grief in, in our life. And, um, yeah, a little bit more about, you know, your, your journey in that too. Right. So, I mean, you know, for me, it was, um, it was really an overwhelming need to feel better. Um, I had, I had never experienced any, anything like this in my lifetime. And here I am in my mid forties with three incredible children and, uh, in a, a beloved marriage for 20, almost 20 years. And wow. my life was just uh, everything we, we would want it to be, you know, and to find myself suddenly divorced and unsure of my future, unsure of the reality of my past. Was it what I thought it was? Was it, was it not? How could I have been so wrong? You know, kind of all these things. I I was really just in a, um, you know, kind of on a one-way street of looking for answers. And in lieu of finding answers from people willing to talk to me about it, and in quickly understanding that people wanted details that I, I wasn't willing to give, I would find myself with fewer and fewer people reaching out. And this was pretty hurtful in the beginning, but I've I've later come to understand, I don't think that any of us are not reaching out to those around us who are grieving because we're bad people or we're mean, or we have some, you know, great show we're streaming that takes precedent or, you know, whatever. It's because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to behave. 
because we don't talk about grief. We are not fluent in grief in our society. And yet it is a fact of life that we are all going to die and we are all going to incur loss as we go through this life. If we're engaging with other people anyway, mm-hmm. we're, if we are going to love, we are going to grieve. And we don't talk about that. We celebrate our beginnings in so many ways, like look at social media on any given day to see how many people are celebrating something. And that's great. Yes, we want to rejoice with one another and celebrate those moments. But then look to see how many people are talking about the other side of the coin. We're so good at beginnings, yes. Dr. Vitus. We are not good at our endings. We don't talk about our endings. We we put them away and um, we're left to figure it out alone. And and I think that by talking about it more, hopefully we can change that because in kind of pursuing research on this and, and putting together quantitative data and, and learning from others through qualitative interviews, I found along with a, my research partner that conservative, conservatively estimated nearly 70% of us will experience ambiguous grief at least once in our lifetime. Wow. That's, and that's a conservative estimate. That's most people. And I'm guessing that if you're uh, maybe, I mean, I'm just thinking about my life and thinking about the people I know. Yeah. I, I, I could definitely see that. And I, I could easily see 80 to 90% uh, that there's times that chapters in all of our lives. Uh, I, I mean, I'm even thinking like, could this even pertain to like the death of a, a dream, um, you know, something that you've really been pursuing for a long time, uh, like in a career or just, you know, another dream that you have, like maybe I wanted to have kids and I never had the chance to do that. Could it have to do with like, okay, I'm still married to this person, but they are dramatically different than, you know, when I first married them, maybe we now have completely different interests and we're not even really talking and yeah, we're married. We're living together, but it's like my marriage is dead. Right. So are are those things that could also be ambiguous grief as well? Yes. So this isn't anything that I understood when I kind of started in pursuit of how to feel better, you know, and in, in order to ultimately start to feel better, I had to understand what I was feeling. And it, I was so surprised to hear from just a, a huge amount of different people um, about what had brought them to this experience. But what I didn't expect was to find that it wasn't just the loss of a person, but it was loss of identity. Mm. And, and that speaks to exactly the things you just mentioned. So um, in addition to those things you just mentioned, another would be uh, job loss. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, for me, I was identifying as a wife, and uh, that suddenly was no longer the case. Mm-hmm. And and for many people too, it can be, well, I'm, and so all of those, you know, activating events that I listed earlier in our conversation, incarceration, addiction, familial estrangement, that is the relationship that's changing with a person. And what was was so surprising to me was to hear from people who said, I was let go from my job of 30 years. And it is how I identify. It is who I am. If I am not this person, who am I? And then empty nesters. I've been a father for Mm -hmm. all of these years. Uh, This was my role. This was the role I felt 
I was here to play in my life and now they don't need me in that way. What's my purpose? Right. You know, and so for me, and, and ultimately the name of the book that I wrote is Soul Broken. And it's one word, just like heartbroken is one word, but I define it as a sense of loss that is filled with anguish mm. and that is onset by the loss of our love, our relationship and ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's often void of validation. And when we're in this state, we are disconnected from not only our relationship, when we're disconnected from our relationship, that often disconnects us from, from God and from ourselves. And so it's a, it, it is just being a plastic bag in the wind is yeah. how wow. I've talked about it with others. And they say, Yes, that's it. That, that's it. Just that, that's untethered. A, that's a powerful picture. Now, what? So, what are some of the signs and symptoms that people might notice if they're dealing with ambiguous grief? Sure. So, you know, firstly, and and most obvious is if you've if you've experienced the break of a relationship, if a relationship has ended as it once was for you, but that person has not died a physical death, you've not had a, a, a funeral, there's no eulogy, then you may experience a wide range of emotions. And depending on your, depending on your relationship with that person, um, that will be kind of how, how much you're grieving, right? And so the, the example I give for this is to say, when your barista quits and is no longer making your lattes or when your postal carrier is assigned to a different route and now there's somebody new, you will probably still be getting out of bed and functioning in your day-to-day -day life, right? <laughs> and it's not that you might not miss them, but you're not grieving them, right? And so, but when love and grief are, are two sides of the same coin. They're equal and opposite. And we're so good about that love component, but not so great about the grief component because it's, it's hard. And so if you've lost somebody that is a love that you've truly loved, that love doesn't just shut off and on like a switch. That love is still there, whether you're also incurring, you know, betrayal trauma or um, shock or, anger or depression or a whole host of other experiences, you still have to figure out how to hold grief with your loss. Mm -hmm. And, and if, if this is, if you can identify it, if you know grief already, if you've grieved the loss of a loved one to a physical death and you find yourself saying, wow, this feels similar. Okay. But what do I do about it? There's no ritual. There's no. So it could, it could, it could include things like um, just feeling down, feeling depressed, feeling detached, feeling empty. I mean, that picture of the plastic bag in the wind, I think is a beautiful metaphor. Uh, and I'm just thinking about the idea there of feeling very unsettled and just kind of like, you know, where, where, where do I blow from here? And, uh, and then I imagine, I imagine there's probably a, a fair amount of depressive symptoms that can really kind of creep in. Like you meant, even mentioned maybe for some people having a hard time, like getting out of bed or something like that. Absolutely. You know, if you're, if you're living in a way, if your life is, if your life is 
so changed that you're living in a way that that might appear to others that your loved one has died a physical death, then you're you might be in ambiguous grief. And and I say, if you find yourself, and I mean this with the utmost respect, if you find yourself feeling jealous of widows, or you find yourself being jealous of happy families, or whatever the case may be, you might be experiencing ambiguous mm. grief. Because the reality is without feeling grief, you're not going to begrudge most people, I should say. Most people aren't going to begrudge a happy family walking down the street and be jealous or envious or have disdain because their child is estranged from them, Mm -hmm. right? So if you find yourself in a position where you're, you're feeling that way about a happy family on the street because your child isn't speaking to you or you or they're suffering an addiction and you don't know where they are or you see a widow accepting casseroles and you think must be nice you might be in experiencing ambiguous grief got it yeah that, that's very helpful so let's say i've identified some ambiguous grief in my life what can be done about it well this is the good news i think that you know in many times, simply being able to understand that this is a normal experience, to be able to name the experience is exponentially helpful. To understand that it's nuanced, it's going to be different for everyone, just like that those paint splotches we talked about against the wall. It's going to look and be shaped differently and have different layers to it. But in all of those cases, it's navigable. We can get through it. And in so many things that, you know, that you talk about kind of all comes back to connection. We can get through it by connecting, by plugging in to our selves, first and foremost, to our higher power, to our community. And in doing this, what we find is that we aren't alone. We're not the only plastic bag in the wind here. There's there's a, a whole army up there blowing about and doing so in an isolated manner because they don't know how to talk about their loss or they don't want to be talked about, right? So they might not be sharing it. But the more we, so to your question, the more we are able to name it and understand that it's normal and nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about, the more we can understand that it's nuanced and individual to each of us. And I certainly can't tell you how to get through your ambiguous grief because you're the expert in your own experience. Mm -hmm. But I can say, here are some tools that I found were helpful for me and that others shared with me who are through this, going through this experience. And in doing that, it can be navigable. And I love what you're saying because it reminds me of the old adage, name it to tame it. Right. And Right. If we don't right. even understand or know, like, you know, I'm feeling this way, I'm feeling so terrible and yet no one's died. And, um, you know, there's so many good things in my life, like what's wrong with me. But then we can be like, ah, you know, it's this issue that actually is really getting at me. And I'm great. I actually am grieving now that I've named it. And I realize, like, Hey, that is actually a normal thing that people go through now. Suddenly 
I have something to work on. Now I can actually go through a process, right, for healing. And and so I love that. I do too. Thank you. And and you know, it's everything you just said, it is all contingent upon the individual being able to identify it. And you know, the, there's terrific work out. I'm, you're, I'm sure you're well aware of the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible, the mind-body connection. We may not be aware why we are having a physical or a physiological response to something, but our mind and our body are connected even when we don't understand that connection and can't intellectualize the connection. But if we can tune into just kind of saying, oh, gosh, why is it that every fall I start to feel a little different, a little down? What is it? And if we can get curious and kind of just peel away our own understanding, why am I feeling this way? Maybe we'll find that at some, you know, at one point in our life, our very first grief was endured but not named mm-hmm. uh, or, or kind of diminished or marginalized when, you know, as a child, our best friend stopped talking to us and we didn't know why, and we weren't invited to that Halloween trick or treating or, you know, and so every October we feel a little low and we don't quite know why. Well, maybe if we're quiet and we can get in tune with ourselves and, and, and that around us and name it and understand, Oh, maybe, maybe this was it that can do wonders for a soul to, yeah. to, to be acknowledged and to be validated. Absolutely. And I really appreciate what you're saying there. And, and one thing that I'm wondering, cause I, I fully agree. Like there's no, there's no recipe for healing because each person is so unique. Right. But like you said, there are tools. And so I'm wondering if you could maybe just, and, and of course I want to definitely advocate to our listeners to, uh, get Stephanie's book, soul broken and pick that up. If you're identifying some ambiguous grief in your own life, but could you give us maybe a couple of teasers of, of examples of tools, uh, that we might even now start using if we're identifying ambiguous grief in our own life? Sure. Absolutely. So you know, first in understanding, you might start saying, well, gosh, what am, what ambiguous grief might be in my history? Um, and and you're going to find several, perhaps. If that's the case, certainly not for everybody, but if that's the case, I encourage you to start with one. You know, kind of start looking at one. You can't grieve all of your losses in one bucket. That would be really efficient and, um, you know, less less painful probably but it doesn't do the job that just doesn't work. And so it's really honoring each loss individually, first of all, and finding a professional, a mental health professional who can help you through this and find the right one for, you know, for me, um, that was wildly important to, to make sure I was sharing and talking with somebody who would guide me, um, but not, you know, tell me, uh, what I needed to do, or, you know, I wasn't looking for a boss or a coach. I was looking for a guide. And I think whatever you might be looking for, look, find within your mental health community, somebody who can help you. Number one. Um, number two is journaling is a terrific tool. And it's something that can, again, mind body, it connects the mind to the body of the hand to the spirit of the self. And if we can just get quiet and write 
what is on our hearts, what is in our mind, we might surprise ourselves with what's coming out. And I, I like to say that those are clues, right? Those are clues for where we go next. But we I, have to, you know, we write it out and then we review it. I, I know even in, in, in my experience, when I put pen to paper and was journaling a little bit about a loss that I had, um, it, it was interesting what came out. Like you said, sometimes we, we don't even know what's going to come out. And I think there's such power to processing through writing and, and all of this, like, like you just said. Um, one other thing that I'm sitting here thinking is that I think to me, as we identify this and we work through this, it seems like such a real unique opportunity too, because in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking like, Hey, if we've lost identity and we've really, we're struggling with that, what an opportunity to potentially reform a new identity in an intentional way. Right. Yes. And intention is actually the first tool that I offer in, in my guidebook which is to say, set your intention. And it's, it's such a, a simple, you know, invitation, but it's one we look over so often, but if we can really just sit in a moment of, of quiet and connect and decide what intention are we moving through this process? How do we do this? How do we want to do this? I find that we can call on our higher selves all the way through because we started that way, you know, begin as you mean to go. And so intention is a terrific tool to start with, um, without question. Yeah. I love this concept of really helping us all to understand that this can actually in the end be a stepping stone for greater growth. And even though, you know, grief is hard and none of us like to go through that process and feel the feelings that are just like, sometimes it feels like our hearts are literally breaking as we go through the process. But in the end, you know, it can be an opportunity to become an even better version of who we were meant to be. And, you know, I'm also thinking like, there's a lot of real strong spiritual implications here too. And, you know, I, I, I could see how experiences like this and, and, and going through the grieving process and kind of the remolding process and really allowing God to be part of that, um, guiding and helping us I think a lot of really awesome things could come out of that. <laughs> um, I couldn't agree more. And if you would have said that to me in the early days, I would have dismissed you immediately, <laughs> right? That's not anything anybody in deep grief wants to hear. And thank you for pointing that out because yes, you're absolutely right. It's easy maybe in retrospect, but yeah. And, and, and I want to be careful and actually be gentle with our listeners too, realizing like it's hard to see that when we're first experiencing grief. Absolutely. That pain is so acute. Yeah. And for somebody to say, oh, but this is a portal to your greatest and highest self. And you will know yourself better. You will know God better. You will know the universe better. I'm so happy for you. Please, you can't say that. Yes. <laughs> but that's the truth. But that's the truth. Grief is a portal but we have to be willing to go into it and it is uncomfortable and it is scary. And often we're doing it without one of the people we love the most. We have to enter 
Only with ourselves. It it can look like a black hole, but it's a portal. I love that, right? (laughs) It really is. It really is. And so, you know, I struggle now when I hear people say, when when I'm offering condolence to somebody, um, I no longer say, I'm so sorry for your loss. Now, I, I I am sympathetic to their pain. I understand the profound amount of grief they're feeling. But to say I'm sorry for it would mean that I would be sorry for the opportunity that is before them. Mm. And I'm not. So at this point, I'm I'm doing a little bit of grief research on what do we say to one another and what could we be saying that might be more encouraging and supportive. That's beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you, Stephanie, so much for taking the time to be with us today. And anything that you'd like to say in, in closing any other resources, or of course, I want to remind our listeners soul broken by Stephanie Sarazin. So go ahead and uh, look that up, but yeah, anything else before we wrap it up? Oh, thank, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You know, I would just say to anybody who's experiencing this now, you're not alone. It is a dark and difficult and confusing and often isolating time. And only you can get yourself through it. And the good news is that you can. You can get yourself through it, but not alone. By making the decision to move forward with your grief doesn't mean that you're leaving your loved one behind. It doesn't mean that you won't love that individual or that role for years to come, if not ever. It is just that in order to move forward with this life you've been given, you need to embrace the grief just as you would embrace the love because really grief is love's invoice and how lucky that we get to pay that bill. So you'll be okay. (laughs) Just don't do it alone. I love that. Well, thank you again, Stephanie. Really appreciate all your, your insights and many blessings as you continue to help many people. So if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this. If mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Dr. Daniel Vinus. And I'm Stephanie Sarazen. And you've been listening to The Brain Brain People People Podcast. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com. 